We're starting a new series today. Welcome to you. Thank you that you're here. When you, when you came in, you received a program. There are notes in there if you want to follow along with the notes. That's there for you, just so you know. I want to thank um, Pastor Cliff for filling in last week. It's always nice to know that uh, you, you're comfortable with the person that's going to speak because you were comfortable with him for many, many years. So it's nice that he was here, and I appreciate that. And for all the birthday wishes, today is my birthday. I, I thank you for that. But let me tell you something. Um, well, yeah, yeah. Uh, you should clap for my mother because I weighed 10 pounds and 11 ounces. So, uh, yeah, bless her heart. I mean, really, there's nothing uh, that I'll ever be able to do to repay that. All right, today we're going to be in uh, several chapters. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 37. We're starting with this series on Average Joes, how God uses... Uh, ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And so the good news is God uses us to do extraordinary things, and anybody can do it because God used kind of anybody's to do it. And so that's sort of the, the premise of, of the series. We're going to kind of run through this all the way to the end of the year. It's super exciting for me. So, And when it gets toward Christmas, we're going to look at some of the Christmas characters. Uh, but now in November, we're going to look at some other folks. And today we're looking at Joseph from the Old Testament. Now, let me begin with a story. It's a real story about a guy named Alexander Peter Sirk. That's him in the middle. Um, this fellow was lonely. He's from Holland. Uh, he uh, got online, as people are wont to do nowadays, to find a mate. He found a, a young lady. He became infatuated. And within a couple of months, he decided that he was going to visit her. Um, he is in Holland. She is in China. Here's how the story goes. Let me read it to you. Mr. Sirk... Uh, told Chinese media um, that he met Miss Zhang, 26, online two months before the romance blossomed. So he decided to fly to visit her. But when he got to Hunan, he found no one there <laughs> to meet him. This is a bad day right there, you know? Uh, you buy tickets to go to China. You get uh, whatever paperwork together that you have to get together. And you get there and nobody's there. By the way, he stayed for 10 days. He stayed for 10 days and nobody ever showed up. He refused to leave the air. I know, you should say, aw, bless his heart. Aw, bless his heart. Uh, and I don't mean that in the good bless your heart way. Anyway, he refused to leave the airport for the next 10 days and was eventually taken to the hospital for physical evalu- uh, 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 evaluation and was diagnosed with exhaustion. Now, Miss Zhang hears about this because it gets on television and on media, and uh, she calls in <laughs> Uh, to give her side of the story. Now, this is good. This is kind of Jerry Springer China version. Uh, it's good. We had advanced our romantic relationship, our romantic relationship, but later he seemed a little callous towards me. One day he sent me a photo of air tickets uh, abruptly, and I thought it was a joke. So, Miss Zhang also added that by the time Mr. Cirque arrived at the airport, she was away having plastic surgery. I swear, that, that just makes me giggle. Um, in another province and had turned off her phone. Now, I don't, know, I, I don't know the Chinese customs. Who turns their phone off for 10 days? Anyway, uh, Chinese media, I didn't even know this existed, but evidently they have Chinese Facebook. I don't know what it's called, but I couldn't pronounce it anyway. And um, here are some of the responses. Uh, he must be stupid. Uh, why would anyone do this? Another one said, doesn't he know that everything in China is fake? <laughs> Last one, and... Uh, not very kind. Uh, perhaps she did go to the airport, saw what he looked like, and promptly turned back around. Oh, it's horrible. Now, 
Mr. Sirk eventually flew home without ever personally meeting Ms. Zhang, who reportedly said that she would be keen to meet him after her recovery, saying that she was still interested in maintaining their relationship. Now, this story for me is a little bit, it's kind of uh, simultaneously inspiring and sad, right? I mean, it's sad because he did all that for no good reason. It's inspiring because this brother has a lot of, well, my, my daddy would say he has more money than sense. I mean, he, he was inspired to do something, kind of go out on a limb. And so today we're going to talk about how we who are average can do kind of extraordinary things. He was kind of an average cat. He did something extraordinary. He made the news, and we talked about him today. So I guess there's something to be said for that. Okay, average Joes, average Joes. Now, average can be good or bad. You know, it's kind of like... Um, if you talk to a young girl and, and you say, how's your boyfriend? And she says, well, he's just average. You're not going to be too excited to meet him. However, if you have a student in your home that is failing classes and all of a sudden he gets his grades up to average, then you can celebrate. So I, I thought of some stuff that, that's average, and we can either be happy about it or, or not happy about it. Um, the annual snowfall in Greer, South Carolina, officially is six inches. Did you know that? Uh, it's in Wikipedia, so it must be true. Um, Now, the average snowfall in Muskegon, Michigan, where I came from, uh, was 102 inches. Uh, Six is better than that. So uh, we're we're excited for winter here. I I texted a friend of mine yesterday, and he said, how's it going? And I said, I'm I'm bracing for winter here in South Carolina. And he didn't think it was funny. So anyway, yeah, you know, those people don't have any sense of humor because they're digging out from snow all the time. Um, The uh, average amount of Halloween candy collected in America, 10 pounds. That's a lot of candy. Uh, then I found this stat, the average amount of Halloween candy collected by Americans and eaten by parents, 9.8 pounds. So that works to our advantage, doesn't it? Um, the average uh, number of times a human yawns in a day is 20. It's kind of interesting, I think. The average times uh, a male human yawns in a day if he's watching a chick flick is 20,000. So you uh, didn't know that, but that's true. It's not made up. Uh, it's not even a made up stat. The average time an American woman spends in her lifetime deciding what to wear. (laughs) One year, ladies. Look at this. The average time an American man spends seven minutes uh, in their lifetime. Uh, That looks good. Uh, It's only kind of wrinkled. That's that's our our take on it. Okay, so um, average can be good. Average can be bad. And what I love about God is... (laughs) This is one of my favorite verses. I, I just, I, this, this is a killer verse. God chose what the world considers nonsense in order to shame the wise. God chose what the world considers weak in order to shame the strong. God chose what the world looks down on as common or regards as nothing in order to bring to nothing what the world considers important. God chooses intentionally to, to pick things that um, aren't extraordinary. He picks people who aren't extraordinary to do extraordinary things. I mean, God is strategic in picking us, those of us. And I think most of us would say, hey, we're kind of average. I mean, we're, we're kind of average. We're, we're not you know, top shelf. We're not low man. I mean, we're, kinda, we're sort of all average. You might be exceptional, and you're exceptional in some ways, I'm sure. But for the most part, we're kind of average. I think that's why we like these kind of verses, because God uses 
average thing. Nothing wrong with average. In fact, it seems to me that God often says in Scripture, He opposes the proud, He gives grace to the humble. And when you're average, it kind of goes that you're humble. So today, we're not going to read all 13 chapters of of Genesis that talk about Joseph. I'm going to kind of give you a little bit of a summary of his life. You might know this from Sunday school or vacation Bible school, these stories. But let's just sort of, let's track along and then we're going to make some uh, life application points at the end. Okay, so just just help me, work with me a little bit. Joseph, um, you find him beginning in Genesis 37. He's an Old Testament son of a guy named uh, Abraham Isaac Jacob. All right, Jacob's his dad. Now, Jacob was renowned, and Abraham, his, great-grand- his grandfather, was really renowned, and that's the one God said, through you I'm going to bless all nations of the earth. So Joseph came from good stock, but mostly he was relegated to slavery most of his life. He was a servant most of the time of his life. I mean, you might think, well, yeah, he came from great stock. Sure, but he, he really for lots of his life, was sort of relegated to not extraordinary positions. He, he served uh, in sort of bad ways a lot of times, in bad places, not bad ways, but in bad places a lot of times. So, Joseph was born to his dad, Jacob, in his old age. And um, having a daughter that was born <laughs> kind of to me in my old age, I understand uh, this notion that you sort of look at them differently. It's like I, t- I told people, we wanted grandchildren, and we sort of cut out the middleman. Uh, we just had our own, you know. And grandparents with, with little kids, uh, they just they, they dote on them and that sort of thing. And Joseph was born late in life, and he had older brothers, and there was jealousy. And they didn't like the way their dad treated Joseph because he didn't even try to hide the fact that Joseph was his favorite. Now, what's super interesting, Jacob... Uh, Jacob had four women uh, from whom he had children. He, he, he was a baby daddy before there was a baby daddy. I mean, he was like, uh, the, he was the, uh, you know, the beginning of baby daddiness, I guess. And uh, um, he had these children. And, and so this son was not only his youngest son, but it was the youngest son from his favorite wife. And then he had another child by this woman, but... It all kind of worked together, and he showed, as a parent, we, we love all of our child, children equally. Evidently, Jacob didn't get the memo on this. And so he sort of showed favoritism, and he wasn't even subtle about it. So, so let's look at a couple of verses. Uh, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. I, I mean, dude, that's really bad. Because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an, or, uh, he made an ornate robe for him. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word about him. Uh, We have four children, uh, Miriam and I, and we would count the Cheerios in the cups, you know, that we gave them to make sure they all had an equal amount. I I mean, you have to kind (laughs) of really watch this when you're a parent. And uh, Jacob was really not very good at this. Now... um, Joseph was a pretty bright boy, but he, had, he lacked something that we really need in life. It's called tact. And Joseph would have dreams. And these dreams, he noted, kind of were about him and his brothers and him and his parents. And, and, and so he would, it's okay to have the dream. You don't have to say everything you know. And so he would tell his brother, these, these brothers, these dreams. And, and the, the dreams were basically, someday I'm going to rule over you. 
Now, um, there's a reason why they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. It wasn't just that their father favored him. It was that he was a little punk. And if you're a little punk, I mean, people aren't going to like you. And he was a little punk, and they didn't like him. And bragging often gets you in trouble. I mean, you know this. This is how it works. Bragging isn't good. It reminds me of the story of these three boys, and they were on the playground. You know how this works. These boys were bragging about their dads, and the one boy said, you know, my, my dad's the most important because he owns the biggest company in town. And the next boy said, no, 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 my dad's the most important because he owns the biggest ranch in town. And there's a third boy, and he's a preacher's son and the hero of this story. And he said, well, my dad's the most important because he owns hell. And they said, he, he can't own hell. And, and, they, and, he, and the little boy said, he, he can uh, he told my mama that the elders gave it to him the other night. So, uh, <laughs> so bragging, speaking of bragging, my life verse is found in Genesis uh, 39. Uh, Joseph was well-built and handsome. And um, uh, it ain't bragging if it's true. So uh, I just want to let you know that. Now, in our story about Joseph and his brothers, one day his brothers are out tending the flocks and Unlike today where you have, you know, barriers like fences and things, uh, they sort of just took their flocks where they were, were places to graze. And his brothers had gone to a place called Shechem, and, and he, they were kind of far away, and they were camp with the flocks. And his dad, Jacob, didn't know how they were doing, and so he says to Joseph, why don't you go check on your brothers? Now, the stupidity of Joseph at this point. He wears his ornate robe that reminds his brothers that he is the favorite and he goes to check on his brothers. And he finds them. They weren't in Shechem. They had gone further and so he finds them further. And when the brothers see him coming, they plan on how they might kill him. Now, it wasn't that they just didn't like him. They <laughs> despised him. Now, his older brother... Uh, at least had some wisdom and decides, hey, why don't we just sell him into slavery? And they took off his robe and they killed an animal and they put the blood on the animal's blood on the robe and they took it back to their father and said, hey, is this your son's robe? I mean, yeah, you know it is because you took it off of him and you sold your brother as a slave. Now, at the moment of being sold into slavery by your brother, I sus or your brothers, I suspect that Joseph didn't feel extraordinary. C can you imagine the level of, of hatred that it would have taken for his brothers to do that to him? I mean, it's pretty remarkable. And Joseph finds himself going from favored son to slave in a blink of an eye. I mean, it, and in life, in the blink of an eye, bad things can happen. And troubles can come upon you. And you never saw it happen. You never saw it coming. People get involved in traffic accidents. Nobody gets in their car saying to themselves, hey, I'd like to go have an accident today. Yet they happen all over America every day. Troubles happen. Nobody ever wakes up in the morning and says, hey, I'd like to find a lump or I'd like to have a, a cancer. Things happen to us. And Joseph found himself going from favored son to slave in the blink of an eye. Now, what I love about Joseph is his attitude. And he finds himself in the employ of a fellow named Potiphar. Um, I often thought if we had a son, I was going to name him Potiphar. Miriam didn't think the same thing, but that's okay. Potiphar uh, was 
a businessman. He hired a slave. He notices that Joseph works diligently and is good at what he does. And so uh, the more Joseph works for him, the more um, Potiphar gives him things to do. And Joseph rises to top position in the household. Uh, A person like that would have had many slaves, and to be the top slave uh, would would have been quite an honor and would have indicated that you were working hard and that you did great work. And Joseph ascends to the level of top uh, slave, top employer, or top employee of Potiphar. Now, there's only one problem, and that's Potiphar's wife. And he is well-built and handsome, and she takes note of this, and she devises a plan to take this young man's virtue. And she attempts to seduce him. Now, let's look at that just a bit, because it's interesting to me. After a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. She's real subtle. Uh, She's really uh, uh, sending out some subtle signals here. Um, But he refused. With me in charge. I mean, I love the way um, his explanation of why he refused. Now, get this. Let's, Let's set up the table just for a second. This is a young man who's in a foreign land. It would have been very easy to think God had abandoned him. I was favored son, now I'm a slave. I mean, where was God in all this? It would have been easy to think that. But look at Joseph's explanation. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. No one is greater in his house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin? Against God. All right, again, uh, it would have been incredibly easy to say, you know, God's abandoned me. I'm just going to go for it. I, I have, I'm a young man. I, you know, I, I have urges. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. There, there's a, a hint of strategy here. If you are tempted by something, then don't be around it. I mean, he, he was incredibly smart, right? I mean, if you're tempted by something, then don't be around it. If you're tempted to um, look at porn on the Internet, then put a filter on there. Don't let your Internet go there. If you're tempted to eat ice cream late at night, don't buy it. And hide your keys, you know, where you can't go get it. If you're tempted to eat Bojangles... <laughs> You're not very smart in the first place. So uh, it's all good. Uh, you should eat that because really you're going to die. Uh, um, um, uh, and, and though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed. And even to be around her. It's brilliant. I mean, it's a great strategy. If I'm tempted by that, then I won't go there. If I'm tempted by that, I won't be around it. This is smart. Now, what a noble young man. What, what a God-fearing, God-honoring young man. It, it is certain that now God is going to bless him for his nobility and his honor. I mean, this is how it works, isn't it? You do great things for God and God is going to bless you. Except, not in this case. Because Potiphar's wife didn't take rejection well. What's the old saying? Hell hath no fury like a woman scorns. And she attempted one last time, and he refused. 
And she grabbed his robe and he tore out because he was not going to be a part of this. And she cried rape. And Potiphar, her husband, believed her. And he's thrown in jail. Now, it is bad enough to be a slave in a foreign land with people who don't speak your language. You've been brought there, chained to somebody you don't even know. You can't get away. You know if you try to get away, they're going to kill you. You are a slave, and now you are in jail in that country where you are a slave. It was bad. I mean, it was really bad. To go from favored son to slave, that's really bad. To go from slave to in jail, that's adding insult to injury. And yet Joseph's demeanor doesn't seem to ever change. And so our big idea for the day is this. Oops, I went past it. Is It is possible to follow God faithfully even in difficult times. Because God was with him. God was with him. God was always with him. And I can just almost see in my mind Joseph in jail and he's singing, Nobody knows the trouble I've seen because nobody knew the trouble. I mean, who has ever done this? And he was punished for doing the right thing. And if there was ever a time for Joseph to say, Man, just forget this. I'm not going to follow God any longer because this doesn't make any sense. Yet Joseph doesn't do that. I mean, i got to be honest with you. I think I would be tempted. I've done the right thing and I got punished for doing the right thing. This doesn't make any sense to me. So maybe God isn't up there. God's not, he's not holding up his end of the bargain. Or so it seems. And so, what we find with Joseph is that he lives out this verse before this verse was ever written. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as though you work for the Lord and not for people. He lived out this verse before it was ever created. And he's a prisoner in a jail who all of a sudden rises to the top because he works at whatever he does as if he's working for the Lord and not for people. And here's here's what's super ironic about his story. He got in trouble, at least in part, because of things that he dreamed. And he gets out of trouble, at least in part, because he's able to interpret dreams of others. Kind of interesting to me. And in jail, he, he develops a reputation as a fellow who can interpret dreams. And this gets all the way to the highest uh, leader, maybe in the known world at the time, the Pharaoh. The, the leader of this vast empire has a dream that he can't have, that nobody seems to be able to interpret it. And he hears, hey, there's a slave, there's a, a Jewish slave boy who can interpret dreams. Why don't we ask him? Now, I want you to think of how really um, unusual that is. You are the Pharaoh. There are millions of people in your kingdom, millions upon millions of people. And somehow, some way, it gets to you that there's a slave boy who can interpret dreams. It's God's hand. And Joseph cleans up and he goes to the Pharaoh and he hears the dream and he interprets the dream and the dream was there are going to be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine and the seven years of famine are going to be really bad. And Joseph says, hey, you're not asking but I'm going to give you my opinion on this. If it was me, I would store up everything I could in the good years because the lean years are going to be devastating. And so... Pharaoh says, hey, that's a great plan. You're in charge. You talk about the greatest promotion 
forever. You went from jail to second in command. You, you went from jail to vice president. It, it, it is uh, amazing. Amazing. And Joseph begins to manage Egypt. And he starts taxing and, and collecting and, and gathering these, uh, this uh, incalculable amount of, of grain. And, and they build storage sheds and they have places for all this grain. And they store it up and store it up and store it up because there's seven years of plenty. And then the seven years of famine hit. And it doesn't just affect Egypt. It affects where his brothers live. Now, super cool. Your dad, Abraham, uh, Jacob, uh, says to the sons, hey, uh, go to Egypt and talk to the top man there and see if we can get some food for us. And so these sons, the very ones who had sold <laughs> Joseph into slavery, have to go to Joseph and ask for, for food. Now, they go into his presence and they don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. It's, it's kind of a little bit of an oddity. Perhaps it was because he spoke a different language now. Perhaps it because it was how he was dressed. Perhaps it was because it's 13 years, and if he was quite young, and now he's 13 years older, there's quite a bit of difference between you know, 15 and 28. You, you, you change your body. Uh, you, you fill out. I mean, it's just different than what it was when they knew him before. But for whatever reason, they didn't recognize him. Now, if this was a movie... If this was like um, a movie with Bruce Willis, the greatest actor, American actor ever, uh, uh, and the greatest Christmas film, by the way, Die Hard, uh, but uh, I digress. <clears throat> if this is Bruce Willis and the brothers come in, this, this movie's over because he is whacking the life out of I mean, it, it's going to be it's going to be Armageddon. Oh, he was in that. Uh, it's going to be um, it's going to be bad. I mean, he's going to take care of business. He's going to take care of business right there. He's going to get after it. This is going to be all done. Vengeance is mine, saith Bruce Willis. I mean, that's how it works. And these guys come in, and he knows who they are, and they don't know who he is, and they ask for grain, and there's this sort of series of <laughs> sort of odd conversations that they have. And then he can't take it anymore. And look at what happens. There was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers, and he wept loudly. And he said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? <laughs> this is a great sentence. But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were scared out of their minds. Because you would be... I don't know exactly why they were scared. Maybe it was at the sight of seeing him for the first time in forever. Maybe it was the real uh, realization that he could uh, off them. Or maybe they were going to have to go tell their dad. Uh, you know, I don't know which thing terrified them most. But they were in terror, terror. And payback was in his hands. And look at what he does. Then Joseph said to his brother, brothers, come close to me. Can you? Are you picturing this? Because I'm thinking... That's one of those, um, they're kind of they're shuffling toward him. I don't know that anybody ran up there because, I mean, they did, they did something despicable. It was horrible. Come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. You, me you remember, right? I mean, uh, I want to make sure, let me refresh your memory. 
I'm the cat you sold into Egypt. Remember that? 13 years ago. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. What an attitude. I mean, again, Bruce Willis taking that thing in a whole different direction. Now, it, it is an awesome story, and I would encourage you, read you know, from Genesis 37 through 49. It, it's this cool story. It's, it's a lot of reading, but it's good stuff. And I haven't given you every detail, obviously. But there are some life lessons to be taken from this, and I thought we'd kind of end with the life lessons. Number one, every life is going to have its share of disappointments and setbacks. Every life is this way. Um, and sometimes they aren't even of your own making. Joseph ended up in really bad situations, not because of things he did, but because of other circumstances. And one time it was because of things he didn't do. He ended up in a bad way. Now, for millennia, people have thought, well, bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people, and if bad things are happening to you, it's because you did something bad. Now, there are consequences for bad behavior. Yes, that ha- it works. That is true, but not every consequence is because of bad behavior. Not every bad consequence is because of bad behavior. And what I love about Joseph is even when things went south, he didn't, it didn't push him from God. Jesus one time said to his followers, right before he was crucified, here on earth you'll have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. I, I like that verse a lot. We all are going to have disappointments, and we're all going to have trials. And they are inevitable. And bad stuff happens even to good people, and bad stuff happens even when you do the right thing. You might stand up for your convictions and get fired from a job that you have, and that doesn't seem like a very good thing, but you still stand up for your convictions. Disappointments are inevitable. They're inevitable. Half our country today is living in disappointment, and the other half is living in glee because of what happened on Tuesday. It, it is Disappointments are, are inevitable. And sometimes you're disappointed, and sometimes you're gleeful. It's why we don't trust in these sorts of things for our ultimate peace. Jesus said, take heart, I've overcome the world. He, he's where we find our peace. And so... We have to be prepared. Some things are going to happen and they're not always going to be to our advantage. That's just how it works. We're going to have disappointments. We're going to have troubles. That's how it works. Now, one way to deal with this is to always be pessimistic. You know, uh, the sky is always falling, that sort of thing. Um, Pessimism really isn't a great way to live life, however. Although I do have a friend named Casey and he said the best thing about being a pessimist is you're either always right or pleasantly surprised. So, I mean, I guess there's something to be said for that. But it really is sort of a a better way to live is, hey, there's going to be trouble, but Jesus has told me he's with me and he's going to overcome the world. Secondly, second life lesson, God's with us during difficult times. Over and over again, if you read these verses, these chapters in Genesis, you're going to see this phrase, the Lord was with Joseph. 
It was the reason he was able to withstand the aggressive onslaught of Potiphar's wife. It was the reason he was able to withstand his brother's betrayal. It was the reason he was able to withstand sudden demotions. He understood that God was with him. I I love this text. It's found in the Old Testament. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified. The Lord, your God, goes with you. He'll never leave you, and he'll never forsake you. I got to tell you, that's one you probably should memorize. I'll never go through anything where God says, O-M me, I didn't see that coming. He'll never do that. Never, not one time. Will he be shocked at trouble and difficulty that comes your way? Just not once. Not once. Life lesson number three, God can use difficult times in your life to prepare us for our future. He can. It's all about our attitude, actually. Look at this verse. This is Joseph talking to his brothers. God has sent me here to keep you and your families alive so that you will become a great nation. Yes, it was God who sent me here, not you. Not you, guys. I mean, all this sort of worked because God knew what he was doing. Um, my oldest daughter and I, Amaris, uh, and I were driving back one time. She had uh, had a basketball game, and, and it was when she was much younger. Probably she was... 12, something like that. She's pretty young. And we were driving back from a basketball game, and we were in the car together. And, and uh, we saw a, a girl, and she was riding a bike, and there was another girl sitting on the handlebars. And, and they were riding down the road. We, kind of, we were kind of watching them. They were coming our way. And Amaris says to me, Daddy, why don't you let us do that? Kind of that snarky 12-year-old attitude kind of thing coming up. And as if God chose that moment, those girls fell. And it was awesome. Not for them. Not for them. But for me. And so I looked at her and I said, that's why uh, we don't let you. And then I said the words that every parent longs to say, I know more than you do. Your mom and I, we know more than you do. And it was as if God popped me on the back of the head and he said, and I know more than you do. (laughs) Now you think you know, you got it all figured out, you know stuff. He's smarter than us, and he's wiser than us, and he knows what he's doing. And Joseph is saying, look, I think if he were to summarize, he might say, I didn't enjoy this, but I'm here for a reason. And all that junk, all that mess I had to go through to get here prepared me for this moment. We don't turn from God when bad things happen, because God can even make bad things into good things. He's amazing that way. Life lesson number four. Our attitude positions us to be used by God. You choose. I think it's one of my next things. Attitude is our choice. We choose. We choose. How we deal with troubles and difficulties in our life. Attitude is a choice. Look at this verse. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. uh, Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them because they were fearful that when their father died, that he would then take vengeance. And so he had to give them some comfort. One last thing, one last thing. God has the last word when we're wronged. We're all going to be wronged and bad people, people are going to do bad things to us and that's just how it works. But God has the last word. Let me, let me end 
This could have been Joseph's life verse, or at least life verses, because he lived these out. Dear friends, never avenge yourself. Leave that to God, for it is written, I will take vengeance, I will repay those who deserve it, says the Lord. Instead, do what the scriptures say. If your enemy's hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink, and they will be ashamed of what they have uh, done to you. Man, it's a lot, a lot of stuff in that story. And I'm thankful for those, um, those lessons because we're reminded that you know, bad stuff happens, God's with us in the midst of bad stuff, and God uses bad stuff. He can, at least, if we have the right attitude, to get to the right place because he's going to use that to help us in the future do different, better things. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the example of Joseph. And you gave a lot, of, um, a lot of press to him in the Old Testament. So it must be important, his life, for us. We thank you for what you taught us today through his life. We pray that we might apply it, that when we're wronged, that we might respond in kind, that we might feel your presence even when we have troubles and difficulties. And help us to see and help us to believe even when we can't see that you're working all things together for the good of those who love you. We pray that we might take this and apply it to our lives and our hearts and be people of faith who walk closely with you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.